0: Buddha was said to have had a totally open mind or a totally open heart, <clears throat> meaning that nothing was getting in the way. um We can imagine that he wasn't intimidated by anything that was occurring inwardly that there was a total openness, and practice for us, is the same as for the Buddha. It is a process of opening. Because it's a process of opening, we find ourselves quite sensitive to both desirable as well as quite undesirable states of mind. And patience is necessary to accompany the opening process. If we don't associate the opening with patience, then we're going to be totally lost. And so patience is one of those qualities that comes about through practice. Patience is a sustained love, a sustained care, the willingness not to just offer metta or loving-kindness here and there, but to sustain that loving-kindness so that there is an endurance, a loving endurance from moment to moment, whether we're with something that we really want to be with or whether a very difficult state of mind is occurring. You could say that patience is an open-hearted acceptance of how things are. It's almost like a good example is being with somebody that's sick where um, if we're really able to be with that person it's not as if we drop in and out and we have a moment of you know excitement of, of meta excitement. It's more a sustained kind of care that we find that we can offer when we really love someone or feel that we really can take care of someone. So it's the same way in dealing with our own inner states. Patience comes about as we practice patience. You know, we can practice patience on impatience, and patience will be the result. <clears throat> and we extend this sense of loving care, this sense of open-hearted acceptance to Whatever it is that is occurring without exception. We try not to leave anything out. And we find that when we are leaving something out, that probably is asking or inviting our patients even more. So we bring this quality of sustained care or sustained loving kindness to states of boredom when nothing seems to be happening and there's that kind of dull veil over the mind and we wish something were happening, anything other than boredom were happening. We bring it to despair. We bring patience to a sense of loneliness. We bring patience to grief. We bring bring patience to rage. Uh, As we open, we see, as I said, both the desirable as well as the undesirable, And with the desirable, it's really kind of a non-issue around patience because we like it. So, you know, it kind of comes quite naturally. That's why I'm dwelling on the undesirable right now. But when we do bump up against something that we don't like or that we find um, very difficult to be with, that is really what calls forth our patience and what actually helps us to develop more of it. Sometimes this open-hearted acceptance, sense of open-hearted acceptance, is um, not so easy for us. We find ourselves afraid at times to accept particular states of mind, such as rage or such as despair, such as loneliness. Because sometimes we're afraid that if we accept, we'll be condoning it. We'll be saying, yes, rage is a really good thing. We'll be saying... um, Loneliness is permanent in some way. And so we can have a certain kind of fear around being patient with it. Acceptance really has nothing to do with condoning. It's not as if we want to nurture rage or we want to encourage or perpetuate loneliness or grief. It's really that if we don't get close enough and sustain our attention on what it is that's happening, we really won't see through it. We really won't see what's happening as a cloud over the heart. We'll think that it's true and it's real and it's who we are. This open-hearted acceptance allows us to soften into, if we're around a difficult state of mind for a while and if we can sustain the attention and sustain the care, there is a softening that quite naturally happens. You know, impatience is quite um, hard-edged and rigid, and we bump away. We kind of flinch away. With patience, there is a quality of melting into or of softening into. And with this softening into, there is a self-liberation that occurs. In other words, a difficult state of mind arising aversion, loneliness, longing, dullness, doubt, boredom, despair, whatever it may be. And if we can soften into it, allow for this sustained care, sustained metta, and allow the softening effect that sustained care has, then we can see that we are not letting go of anything. It lets go of us. In other words, it liberates itself simply through our seeing it through. Not stopping in the middle of it, not being intimidated, not judging the fact that it's happening, and so not being able to stay with it. And then forming this impression because of not bringing patience to it that it is how things are. It absolutely is the way the world is. And it totally, definitely is who I am. In other words, we identify with it. If we can bring this care, there is a self-liberating quality that occurs where we're not trying to force anything away, we're not trying to change anything, and change is a fact of life. Whatever it is that we're with will change inevitably. So can we be patient enough to stay with things until we see them change? Patience is very definitely not passivity. It's very definitely not resignation. When there is resignation, it's a pretty dead state. There's no air in it. You know, we've really given up all sense of exploration, all sense of, of curiosity or interest. With patience, there still is in alive interest. It's actually a very alive quality of heart. Sometimes because of our history or our education we hear the word patience and our heart kind of drops and it doesn't sound like one of those pizazzy qualities to uh, work with. But in actuality it's enormously alive as a quality of heart. It really can help us to touch the beauty of the heart more and more patience. Always, it's an opening into right here and right now. Always, our practice is to see and to open into the here and now. Not ideas about the past, not ideas about what may happen in the future, but always this resting, this sustained care for what it is that is occurring in the present moment. So in other words, with encouraging the quality of patience in our life, in our practice, we're not trying to wait anything out. You know, We're not trying to sit in a tense or contracted way and um, grit our teeth and wait for the bell to ring. You know, we do do that. We do do that. But that's not patience. And to understand the distinction is always really important. So there isn't a tension around patience. There isn't a contraction. There's actually an enormous fluidity and smoothness um, sustaining our attention. If we practice in order to become what we think we should be, we will miss the present moment. If we're practicing with a sense of impatience that things are never okay in the present moment, we'll be lost in our ideas about how things should be, and we'll miss what is happening in the here and now. And transformation can only take place in the here and now. So without a sense of patience, we'll be constantly kind of um, on the edge of our cushion or on the back of our cushion, either way, um, either trying to move back the way things used to be, you know, the imagined idea about how things used to be, whatever way that was, or really trying to move into the next moment of how I will be when, you know, the dream of practice occurs. And we always are missing uh, the possibility of transformation when we do this because it can only happen right here and right now not a moment 10 years from now, not a moment that one had many years ago, some particular experience that one wants to recapture, but only right here and right now. And so we miss the possibilities in life when we're on the edge in that way, when there is a cultivation of impatience, when we can see that there is impatience, it is possible to bring patience in once again. The Buddha said that patience is the path to freedom, which is a pretty big statement, and that it's the highest form of devotion, because it's understanding how much we can't control, and it's accepting that things change there's really a deep acceptance that things will change whether we want them to or not. When we want them to, they'll change. When we don't want them to, they'll change. And patience is really a resting in that which is lasting, which doesn't have to do with any particular experience, which doesn't have to do with any particular mind state which doesn't have to do with a clinging to anything at all. The cultivation of, of patience is based on understanding. And this understanding really is that the practice is none of your business. Truly, the practice is none of your business. What I'm saying is not that Um, you know, that it's my business or that Rodney's practice is your business or anything like that. And I could also say that your practice is only your business, meaning that um, it's only you that can do this. No one else can do it for you. And I could also say that your practice is your only business because... uh, we could say that practice is one's highest priority. The movement towards freedom is clearly, um, probably for all of us in this room, our highest priority as human beings. But I want to talk more about how your practice is none of your business. I gave this talk some years ago, just a very shortened form of it, and I had people coming in saying, um, I know my my practice is none of my business, nonetheless, you know, <laughs> da da da. da. <laughs> but what I mean by this is that it's really not my practice or your practice, it's really the practice. And what I mean by it being none of your business is that it has a life of its own that we really have not much to say about, if you've noticed. You know, it really is out of our hands. And it's not like it's in somebody else's hands. You know, it's out of anybody's hands. It's in the hands of life. It really belongs to nature. It belongs to the way things are. So if we can get ourselves out of the picture a bit in terms of taking responsibility where we don't need to take responsibility, life flows a lot more easily, and our practice is a lot more smooth. Practice really does have a life of its own. It develops in its own time. It develops in its own way. You know, even using the word my practice, which we do need to conventionally use at times, so um, not to come in and feel shy about using the words my practice. It comes in handy sometimes, and it's just a convention anyway. But in a sense, we don't claim what's happening within and when we get solid about it and actually believe that my practice means something, you know, if we say it in a light way as as a description, then it's a way to just describe what is occurring and, um, you know, kind of learn a little bit more about what's happening. But if we solidify around it my practice, your practice, um, comparing my practice to your practice, comparing... Um, uh, once practice to a practice that you had in the past and where it's going in the future and this whole sense of you know burden of history about how my practice has been and where my practice is going. It's much too solid and we really set ourselves up. It is true that we do have to do the work. <laughs> that part we don't get let out of. Even though your practice is not your business, you still do need to do the work this is actually true, but the point is that we don't have to worry. You know? And this is huge. Looking at just practicing from moment to moment, following the instructions, being present, being very simple, isn't this quite different than the overview? You know, isn't this quite different than the many mind moments that we use in worrying about how we're doing and where we're going and what should be happening that's not happening, and how we can get something to happen that we want to have happen. All of those 10 million mind moments of worrying, this is really truly what can be let go of. It is not our obligation or our work or our duty to worry. It is our choice to be present and to over and over again really turn towards the present moment, whatever it is that's occurring, but the worrying about there being a solid sense of my practice, this is really what can change. This is really what is possible to let go of. There is this crucial question in practice, which is what is our responsibility and what is not? Quite clearly, our responsibility is to over and over again turn towards the present moment. It's true. Our responsibility is to regain presentness when we find ourselves lost, when we find the mind wandering, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, to once again sit, to once again, whether we're moving or not, to sit inwardly, to be still, to observe, to allow for a non judgmental observation of whatever it is that's occurring. But what is not our responsibility are the results. This is really clearly out of our hands and not possible to control. How long something is going to take, how it's going to evolve, all of this lies in the realm of the unknown, in the realm of mystery. So what we are doing is practicing and letting go over and over again, practicing and letting go. Ajahn Chah puts it like this, whether the fruit of wisdom comes quickly or slowly, you cannot force it, just as you cannot force the growth of a tree you have planted. The tree has its own pace. Your job is to dig a hole, water and fertilize it, and protect it from insects. That much is your affair. But the way the tree grows is up to the tree if you practice like this you can be sure all will be well and your plant will grow. Thus you must understand the difference between your work and the plants work. Leave the plants business to the plant and be responsible for your own. If the mind does not know what it needs to do it will try to force the plant to grow and flower and give fruit in one day." And this is really what in our heart of hearts we think should be happening. I mean at least we wish it would happen. But even, even beyond the wish, oftentimes we think it should be happening. There's something wrong with us that it's not. It's um, a sense of expecting change um, before right now. You know, kind, of, kind of a sense of before right now. I found this, um, this great thing in the New York Times many years ago <clears throat> that I think is kind of a, a comment on our mind state, our collective Um, mind state, around instant gratification. There's a picture of a a big Buddha on it. It can take several lifetimes to reach a state of inner peace and tranquility, or it can take a couple of weeks. Concentrate deeply. Think about a 14-day ocean journey to Singapore or Bali, Thailand or China. Days when your every whim is anticipated, instantly met, Sights, smells, lights, sensual feasts. Imagination can't do it justice. Now a flash of insight, Royal Caribbean will take you to the Far East. (laughs) (laughs) Our sun, Viking, has just begun a year-round presence there with the five itineraries sailing to over 25 of the world's most mystical, evocative cities. Along the way, the same lavish attention you already expect from Royal Caribbean in the rest of the world. It's a vacation that until now simply did not exist, but you can believe. Call (laughs) 1-800-659, if you want to go down to the phone booth after this, (laughs) RCC1, or simply ask your travel agent how to reach Nirvana. (laughs) Don't put it off another lifetime. (laughs) So, maybe we don't get that extreme with it. But, you know, a little bit of thinking that it's possible. Instant gratification that should be happening before right now. We should be different. We should be other than before right now. Krishnamurti said, I think, a very beautiful, profound thing. He said that patience is not of time. Patience is not of time of time. And what this translates into is whenever there is the thought of time, we can know that there's a tiny ripple of impatience. You know, maybe a major ripple, but at least a small ripple of impatience when we're in a sitting and we're thinking when is it going to be over? You know, Because it's not of time. The realm of meditation has nothing to do with how long is it going to take, because this is out of our hands. And so it's very interesting to be sitting, and we know, I know all of us know at this point, and many of you know a lot, that one minute can feel like five hours, and that um, five hours can uh, feel like a second at times, too. It It changes because things are not of time. So when we bring the element of time into our practice, it's really a signal that we need to look more deeply. We need to investigate and examine this and see if it's possible instead to bring a sustained care in. In other words, to turn towards where the suffering is instead of trying to get away from it to very gently and lovingly care for the suffering, care for the despair, care for the pain in the body, care for the discomfort, whether it's mental or physical. Turn towards it the way we would turn towards somebody who was sick, who needed our care. We wouldn't turn away. And so it's the same way in dealing, in working with inner states. Something we can also see in our day of practice in this environment is how much we try to do one thing to get on to the next. And we know that in our daily life, we're often engaged in this. You know, we're reading the paper so that we can get out the door. We get out the door so that we can get to work. We get to work just so that we can get home at night. Um, you know, and it goes on and on and on like that. But on a retreat, it is simply, you know, amusing if not hysterical to notice how we're trying to get through a sitting to get to a walking. <laughs> you know, big deal. We know what the walking, it's not It's not like it's going to be so different. You know, th- we're going to take ourselves with us into the next walking. It's not going to be a different person walking, an enlightened person walking. It's going to be the same, same situation, just in another room. Or, you know trying to get through the last sitting before lunch so that we can eat lunch, which admittedly is, you know, the up point of the day. It's a, it's a, it's a nice time, and there's not a problem with that. And, but the point, too, is that it's over really quickly, you know, and then it's kind of all downhill. <laughs> so if we can bring a, a, a patience in, if we can bring a sustained care in, what is possible? is for every moment to mean something. Instead of being so caught up in this activity or that activity as bringing us what we long for, instead patience offers us, a sustained care offers us access to life occurring in the present moment, whatever it is that's happening. So there's life, there's um, an aliveness, almost a sparkling, you could call it, Uh, something that is crystal clear that is happening, whatever it is that we're doing. And this is what we can be in contact with, with this sense of sustained care, with whatever our life consists of. So what this is requiring from us is dropping a lot of our ideas and concepts about practice, our sense of solidity about how it should be and how it should go and how we should be that you know maybe if this is your first time here, one has picked up from ideas and books, and um, you know this is what happens in the in the early days, and then, as things go along, you know more more books, more ideas. And also, as well, one's own experiences to refer back to, to conceptualize in a certain way, and then to want back or to not want back, considering, on, con, you know, depends on what is actually happening. So our kind of, uh, our work in practice is to try not to get too excited or too dismayed. This helps us a lot with this development of, of opening, with this process of opening, is to not get too excited, too overly excited about anything. Certainly we can have a sense of delight when we notice, oh, you know, I am able to be with this particular state with a little bit more steadiness. You know, we can have some some delight about that. It's not to push that away. But to attach to it and to get overly excited is really a setup to getting overly dismayed when things are not going the way we want them to go, which is bound to happen. So when we do get dismayed, certainly dismay is occurring. It's not a problem. But to notice how we pile on more dismay to the dismay. So there's excitement and then we get overly excited. There's dismay and then we feed it and we find ourselves in a long way away from where we began with just a moment of dismay. Remembering that in a way practice really doesn't have anything to do with us. Uh, we want it to have something to do with us when we think practice is going well. You know, we want it to be our practice that is going well, that is absolutely our business and nobody else's, you know, compared to the, the poor person next to us who is, you know, whatever. But Um, But in actuality, whether things are quote going well or quote not going well, it's still not so personal. It's really more of a universal path that we're engaged in that does belong to nature. It's not so much about personal gain as it is relaxing over and over again into things as they are. When things are going well, to hear this doesn't sound so great at all. When there is a balance in the mind, this is a huge relief to recognize, to realize that we can stop striving, that we can stop trying to accumulate mind states, that we can stop trying to sit with a sense of having to get, having to get something that is elusive, having to get something that people have told us is possible. Having to get something that we think somebody else has and we don't. And this stance is exhausting. This stance just simply brings about tension and is really wrong understanding. We are in this together. We are all moving in practice together. And it really does not belong to us. It really is a path, a universal path, rather than one particular person waking up. It's all of us waking up together. Sometimes we find ourselves, when we get lost in concepts and ideas about how things should be, noticing the gap between how I am and how things should be, how things are and how things should be, how the world is and how the world should be. And we find ourselves comparing, we find ourselves judging, we find ourselves assessing and evaluating, we find ourselves planning how it's going to be, if only, and we find ourselves worrying. And I want to emphasize again, I feel that this piece of worry is so deeply conditioned and can be let go of that I just want to emphasize it once more that if we can take out the worrying about ourselves, the worrying about how we're doing, and how hard we're practicing, and how things should be going, our practice is so much more relaxed. And we actually, are able to relax into the here and now more and more because we're not filled with ideas about where we should be or where we should be going. As if we knew. You know, I mean, It's kind of all based on this idea that we know and we don't know. Always practice is noticing delusion and seeing through it. Recognizing a cloud that's over the heart and then watching it melt, watching it dissolve, watching it pass away, but we don't know what cloud is going to come up in any given moment. When we experience freedom, it's always new, it's always fresh. When there's an insight, it's always as if for the first time. You know, Sometimes Sometimes yogis will come in and say, um, I had this insight, I know it's really dumb, da-da-da-da-da. It's never dumb, because it's always for the first time. And always, we're only recognizing what we already know. Really, what we want to open to a bit more is don't-know-mind, is a mind that knows that it doesn't know and is willing to open, is willing to encounter the unknown. <clears throat> I have to I have to digress for a second. Um I'm remembering um a Zen master uh some years ago he was on the radio in Cambridge. And um he kept talking about don't know mind and over and over again it was a long interview like an hour or whatever and he was kept saying don't know mind, don't know mind. And um the interviewer was just being very nice and you know going along with him and, you know, pretending he knew what he was talking about, <laughs> and showing that he had no idea what he was talking about, because at the end of the interview, he said, um, can you say more about this donut mind? <laughs> so, which is not bad, actually. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, the hole in the middle, the, the emptiness there, the spaciousness there. Surrounded by conditioning, I don't know. (laughs) But um, what we're really encouraging is this sense of openness and interest and not assuming that we know. It's very important to recognize that we can't tell how practice is developing by what it is that's happening. And we're so conditioned to think that what is happening is all of it. Whereas in actuality, in practice, It's not. What is happening is the conditioned part. How we're relating to it is where the liberation comes in. Once upon a time, there lived a man in China. One day, for no reason, his horse ran away across the border. Everyone tried to console him, but his father said, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? Some months later, his horse returned, bringing us his horse returned bringing another another horse. Everyone congratulated him, but his father said, "What makes you so sure this isn't a disaster?" This household was richer by a fine horse, which the son loved to ride One day he fell and broke his hip. Everyone tried to console him, but his father said, "What makes you so sure this isn't a blessing A year later. The nomads came in force across the border, and every able-bodied man took his bow and went into battle. The Chinese frontiersmen lost nine of every ten men. Only because the son was lame did father and son survive to take care of each other. Truly, blessing turns to disaster, and disaster turns to blessing. The changes have no end, nor can the mystery be fathomed. Now, when we hear this, we think about external events and about how uh, things happen, and we don't know whether it's a blessing or whether it's really a misfortune. Rodney was talking yesterday about um, misfortunes at some point in life sometimes being seen as blessings because of what we've learned from them. You know, some some really horrible things we think, how in the world could I think that this is a blessing? No. But it's it's ten years later, time has gone by, we find that we 're transformed because of how we 've used the situation, and we think unimaginably to ourselves we think i 'm glad it happened," which is an incredible thing to say to ourselves, but you know the other is true as well with what we call a blessing. Um, sometimes we get very easily seduced and deluded, and then that which actually isn 't sustaining, that we see at another point is just quite trivial. Is really not um, deeply rooted, and I know all of us have had this experience as well. Um, you know, we we say, "Oh, I thought that was a blessing," and in actuality, it was no big deal, or actually, it turns out to be the opposite. But anyway, this is true for internal um, events as well. When something arises, and we think, "Oh, this is a terrible thing," when something arises, and we say, "Oh, this is a wonderful thing." Um, still, to rest in the unknown is our best way of practice. To rest in the mystery is the best way of practice. Instead of attaching to or solidifying around what good meditation is, what bad meditation is, instead, if we can be with things as they are, everything is fine. There is no problem. Sometimes when things are pleasant versus unpleasant, we think pleasantness is good, unpleasantness is bad. And we can so easily fall into the trap of um, judging our practice as superficial or deep. It's a little bit of a spiritual cliche these days to say, oh, you know, this person has deep practice with a little bit of like a a thing around a deep practice, you know, as if we know what they mean. Um, or to say, you know, my practice is, is, is deep, or whatever it may be. Uh, to judge as superficial or deep, I think this has to be let go of. Uh, it's really much more like a flowering. And if we're with things as they are, we don't have to judge it at all. We can notice that it's a process. So shifting, it is a big shift to shift away from the emphasis on what it is that is occurring as being all important, to shift from what it is that is occurring to looking at this question of how am I relating to it? Is it possible to relate to this with kindness? Is it possible to relate to this with non-reactivity? Is it possible to relate to this from the perspective of wanting to learn from it rather than wanting to keep it or get rid of it as quickly as we possibly can. Recognizing that what it is that arises is always from the past. It's always conditioning. And we have no say about what it is that is going to arise. We have not a thing to say about it. It happens on its own, in its own way. Where we do have a great deal of say, a great deal of choice, is in remembering to relate to it, not out of more conditioning. You know, our instinctual way of relating is to push away what we don't like and what we think is unacceptable, what we're judging, to try to cling to and perpetuate and hang on to what we do like and what we do think is good and what we do think is acceptable. And to identify with what's happening as being who I am and how things are to solidify around what's happening and allow it to be part of our identity. Liberation comes from attending, sustained attending to the how, to how it is that we're relating to what it is that is occurring. And wisdom comes out of noticing, being aware of clinging, being aware of pushing away, being aware of identification. It's not a problem to cling if we're aware of it because we won't be able to continue clinging. It's not a problem to push anything away if we're aware of it because we won't be able to continue to push. We'll be onto ourselves. We'll recognize that it's instinctual and that maybe if we slow down, we can be with it in a bit of a different way. It's fine to identify if we're aware of identification, because immediately we can see it's not who we are. It's a state of mind arising and passing away. It's happening in the present moment. And it isn't who we are. Understanding all this makes patience possible. It actually makes patience possible. Patience is based on a recognition of the path as vast, as enormously measureless without our being able to assess and evaluate. Really, it's a surrendering to nature and allowing ourselves to be part of nature instead of thinking that we're separate or instead of keeping ourselves separate. It's Recognizing and understanding and appreciating our place in nature. And that with our practice more and more, we're simply understanding how things are. We're understanding the natural lawfulness, the natural order in life. And we're understanding why we suffer. We're recognizing that in paying attention to how things work, understanding more and more how things are. We can be with, we can merge with, we can connect with what's happening without being as afraid, without being as intimidated, without thinking that we have to grasp onto something in particular in order to be safe, in order to be okay. Really what we are doing in practice is planting seeds And I want to read something from uh, someone named Mahagusananda, who is uh, a monk who, um, he's an unusual monk. He um, uh, somehow doesn't always have his robes on uh, right, and this and that. Uh, He's quite old at this point, and an enormously loving and beautiful human being. Um, He actually came to a a beginner's class of mine uh, 15 years ago, and he sat on the floor and he asked me questions. <laughs> this is so unusual. I mean, he's, he's the grand patriarch of Cambodia. Um, it's unbelievable. It's, it's really unusual, uh, to put it mildly. Anyway, um, this is what he said. He said, take care of the present and the future will be well. The dharma is always in the present and the present is the mother of the future. Take care of the mother and the mother will take care of her child. So this is what we're doing. We're really just planting these seeds. We're taking care of the present moment. And in encouraging a sense of patience, we are allowing for a sustained care, not hit or miss or once in a while, but we're developing a sustained courage, a sustained care. It's not as if there isn't a direction in practice. There is definitely a clear direction which is moving away from suffering and going towards happiness. Very clearly, this is the direction of practice, moving away from despair and moving into faith, the faith that comes out of our own experience in being with things as they are. But this direction really has to do with over and over again letting go, non-grasping, relaxing, simply allowing for a cultivation of the qualities of heart, not attaching to anything in particular as being an endpoint. Without patience, constantly we're going to be checking for results. We're going to be edgy, we're going to be worrying. With patience, there can be calm, there can be equanimity. There is a gradual immersion. Rather than highlighting any particular experience as being this or that, there is a gradual immersion into the Dharma. In other words, we're living in the way of things without even choosing it. It's just how things are. So I'll leave you with a uh, quote from Lao Tzu. When the mind is at peace, the world too is at peace. Nothing real, nothing absent, Not holding on to reality, not getting stuck in the void, you are neither holy nor wise, just an ordinary fellow who has completed his work. So let's just be ordinary and sit for a moment together. When the mind is at peace, the world too is at peace. Nothing real, nothing absent, not holding on to reality, not getting stuck in the void. You are neither holy nor wise, just an ordinary fellow who has completed his work. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have comfort of heart. May all beings rest in sustained loving kindness.